then life would be better. Or maybe you long to have kids. Convinced if you have kids, then, then you'll find the happiness you're looking for. Or maybe you already have kids and parenting is taking a toll on you. To the point you're beginning to think contentment won't be found again until the nest is empty. Maybe not even then. Or maybe you're a kid. Maybe you're in high school. You're just tired of being in school. You're tired of your teachers. You're tired of your parents. You're ready for a change of scenery. Whether that change be college or the work world or really anywhere else beside here. Or maybe you're in the working world and you think if I could just get a new job or a new career. Or maybe you're ready to be retired. If you could just stop working altogether and have more time on your hands, then you'd find happiness. Or maybe you're struggling with some health issue and you're convinced if the health issue could get figured out, then life would be better. Or maybe you don't like where you live or the car you drive or the clothes you wear. Maybe you're just stressed financially and in your mind a new house or a new car or a new wardrobe or a little bit more money in the bank would make everything better. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe there's some other life issue that's been weighing you down for weeks or months, maybe years, and you're fully persuaded if only that circumstance could change, then I could find happiness. What if I were to tell you this morning, I'm convinced that true and lasting contentment actually has nothing to do with our circumstances. The true satisfaction and lasting joy has nothing to do with where you live or the car you drive, the job you hold, your marital status, your kids, your health, your bank account, whatever political party's in office, or any other circumstantial reality. But instead, true contentment is found outside our circumstances. If I told you that, would you believe me? I think it's pretty obvious I'm looking at the world around us that by and large as people, we are convinced that contentment is found in our circumstances. We spend all kinds of money on bigger houses, faster cars, better technology, not because we necessarily need those things, but because we're convinced they'll make us happy. For that matter, we pour ourselves into kids' activities, or we become obsessed with our work, or we spend an inordinate amount of time at the gym, or doing other things to change our physical appearance, because we've convinced ourselves, maybe if we pour ourselves into those things, then we'll find satisfaction. But here's the reality that I'm convinced of. True contentment is not found in our circumstances. It's found somewhere else. And I believe that to be true because I've seen it with my own eyes. Some of the most content people I've ever met were oftentimes poor or sick or otherwise destitute, and yet they were satisfied and happy and joyful about their lot in life, which demonstrated to me that really contentment is not found in our circumstances. But it's not just personal observation that leads me to believe that. More importantly, I'm convinced that contentment is not found in circumstances because the Bible tells us so. God, who designed the world, tells us in his word, in fact, in our passage today, the true contentment is not found in our circumstances. Rather, it is found in a person. More specifically, true contentment is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in knowing and trusting and relying and treasuring Jesus above everything. And so my goal this morning is straightforward. The goal is to simply remind you, contentment is not found in your circumstances. It's found in Jesus. And my hope then is that as you hear that, you would have a renewed desire when you leave these doors this morning to say, I'm all in on following Jesus because I know that's where joy is found. That's my hope this morning. So Philippians 4, 10 to 13 is our passage. If you want to stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word, if you're physically able just want to remind ourselves in standing that this is God's word and as such it's due our attention. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. In any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
It's the Word of God. You may be seated. So I'm just going to give you the main takeaway this morning up here at the front. The true contentment is not found in our circumstances, but rather it's found in Jesus Christ. I think that's the main point of the passage, and it's certainly the main thing I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. But having said that, I think it's worth pointing out here that the first verse of the passage has nothing to do with contentment. Rather, in the first verse, verse 10, Paul is expressing gratitude for a gift given to him by the Philippians. I think it's important that we start there in verse 10 so we can understand the connection between verse 10 and the rest of the passage because the transition seems a little bit odd. So we need to understand why Paul says what he does in verse 10 and how that leads into verses 11 to 13. So let's start in verse 10 here where Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now one of the things that set the Philippians apart was their generosity. As Paul will make clear in next week's passage, verses 15 to 16, the Philippians repeatedly gave up their money and resources to help Paul. And Paul is very grateful for their generosity, which is what he's communicating here in verse 10. As he says it in verse 10, he rejoices greatly that the Philippians have revived their concern for him. He knows that they've been concerned for a while, but they had no opportunity. But now they've had opportunity and they've given to help Paul. And Paul is grateful for their gift. It's actually one of the reasons he's writing the letter to the Philippians. He's alluded to this gift on multiple occasions in the first couple of chapters. And in chapter 4, especially next week's passage, it becomes the focus. He's thankful for this gift. He wants them to know he's grateful for their support. But he also knows in expressing his gratitude for a gift, he runs the risk of sounding like he really wants more of their money. Or perhaps that he's just thankful for them because of their money. And so in verses 11 to 13, he goes down a bit of a rabbit trail. He doesn't want the Philippians to think he's begging for more money. He doesn't want them to think he's just thankful because of what they give him. And so in verses 11 to 13, he explains, even if you wouldn't have given me the gift, I would have been okay. Again, he was glad for the gift. It helped him. More importantly, he was glad for what the gift represented, a true love from the Philippians. But in verses 11 to 13, Paul is going to make it clear, without the gift, I would have been fine. I didn't need your money, Philippians, and I don't love you because of your money. And I think understanding that rationale explains why we have this kind of awkward transition between verse 10 and the rest of the passage in verses 11 to 13. Because we should be honest here, at first glance, it seems like Paul is kind of saying, thank you for the gift, Philippians, but I didn't really need it. It's kind of like giving your brother a gift at Christmas, and he says, oh, this is great, but I didn't really need it. Well, you'd think that's kind of ungrateful. But that's not what's going on here. I think Paul is trying to avoid misunderstanding. He wants the Philippians to know, I'm grateful for your gift, but I didn't need it because I don't need your money. I don't love you because of your money. Rather, I'm thankful because of what the gift represents, a love for me and ultimately love for Christ. But again, with or without the gift, he would have been perfectly content because his contentment was not based on money or circumstances. It was based on Jesus. And again, that's the main point of the passage. The true contentment is not found in our circumstances. It's found in Christ. So while Philippians 4, 10 to 13 may start with Paul talking about a gift, make no mistake about it. By the end of the passage, it's clear this is a passage about contentment and specifically about being content in Jesus Christ. And in a world that seems largely discontent, I would argue we desperately need a passage like this one that reminds us where true satisfaction and true joy come from. And so in the rest of our time together this morning, I simply, want us, I simply want us to think about this topic of contentment. More specifically, I want to make three observations about contentment from this passage. I'm going to start with the most obvious and the most important one, the one that we've already been talking about. So observation number one is this. 
True contentment is not found in our circumstances, but rather it's found in Jesus. Listen again to verses 11 to 13. Verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, if there was such a thing as a hall of fame for Bible verses to get ripped out of context, Philippians 4.13 would be a founding member. Because this verse is ripped out of context constantly. I remember a few years ago watching the Olympics and an American diver improbably won the gold medal. It was a massive upset, and to my recollection, a huge shock in the diving world. And afterwards, when they were interviewing this young diver, she was quick to quote Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I certainly appreciated her desire to point to Christ on national, or in this case, international television. And I knew what she was trying to say. She was trying to say, God is the one who gave me the gifts. I want to give glory to God. So on the whole, I was appreciative of what she was trying to say. I didn't start booing at my television. Boo, out of context. I didn't throw my shoe at the television. You fool, what are you doing? But having said that, she was taking the verse out of context. Philippians 4.13 is not a verse about doing superhuman things. When Paul says he can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he doesn't mean we can all win a gold medal in the Olympics. He doesn't mean we can all run the 100-meter dash as fast as Usain Bolt. He doesn't mean we can all sing with a voice like Whitney Houston. He doesn't mean we can all play the cello like Yo-Yo Ma. He doesn't mean we can all paint like Michelangelo through the strength that Christ provides. That's not what he's saying. Now, of course, of course, it's true. Sometimes Christ does give us strength to do things we otherwise couldn't do. But that's not the point of Philippians 4.13. In Philippians 4.13, Paul is not talking about winning gold medals or winning basketball games or accomplishing unexpected things. He's talking about the secret of being content. And that secret is found in knowing and treasuring and trusting and relying on Jesus. If we are in Christ, and if we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, then we have the capability of being content no matter the circumstances. Now to be clear in saying that, I'm not implying Contentment will be easy because our life will be easy. Nor am I implying contentment will be easy because our life will be free of heartache and pain if we're in Jesus. I'm not implying either one of those things because neither one of them are true. Even if we're in Christ, the pain of this world is real. So I'm not saying you can be content in all circumstances because if you're in Jesus, your life will be easy. I'm not saying that at all. Rather, what I am saying, and more importantly, what I think Philippians 4, 11 to 13 is saying, is that even in the midst of heartache and pain and difficulty, it's still possible to know true satisfaction and true joy. It's possible to be content even in our hardships. Now, not content with the hardship itself, I should add. We have to be honest here. It's okay to lament the fact we live in a broken world. It's okay to lament the fact that things don't go the way that we'd hoped. So we're not content with the hardship itself. We're not saying, oh, this hardship's awesome. What we're saying, though, is we can be content in the hardship because we know Jesus. Because we know the strength that he provides and because we know the truth of the gospel. If Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins, and if Jesus really did raise from the dead conquering death, and if Christ really is going to come again and make things right, 
And if our names are written in the book of life, and if our future inheritance is secure because of the Holy Spirit, which all those things are true if we are in Christ, if those things are true, then we can be confident if we're a follower of Christ that even in the midst of life's hills and valleys, there's always reason for hope and always reason for joy. And the reason why there's always reason for hope and joy is because the precious promises of the gospel are true. So practically speaking, what that means then is this. Every day we have a choice we can make. We can view the world through the lens of our circumstances. We can view the world through what's going on. Or we can view the world through the lens of the gospel, what we know to be true. The former, looking through our circumstances, will inevitably lead to frustration, depression, fear, anger, and bitterness. When we view the world through the lens of our circumstances, the fruit is almost always poisonous. But the latter, when we view the world through the lens of the gospel, the fruit of that is contentment. When we view the world through the lens of what Christ is doing, is going to do, the result is that we can have joy even when things are really hard. Or for that matter, even when things are going really well. We're still focused on Christ. And to have this type of joy in the midst of a world that is broken is a beautiful thing. When I think of Philippians 4, 11 to 13 lived out, I think of precious saints that I've known over the years. I think of Pat Lubin, a former church member here at Fremont Free who's died and gone to be with the Lord. I think of Pat lying in a parking lot in western Nebraska, on the ground because his body has failed him, dying of cancer. And yet as he's lying on the ground to hear the story as it was told to me, he doesn't complain or yell or curse God. Instead, he looks up at the clouds and says, thank you, God, for making such a beautiful day. That's contentment. That's Philippians 4.13 in action. I think of Peg Dine, another precious saint from this church who's died and gone to be with Christ. In her last years, Peg could barely say a word because of various health ailments. And yet anyone who met her in those final years would say she was radiantly beautiful. Always smiling, always quick to say the name of Jesus with her limited words. That's contentment. That's Philippians 4.13. I think of other families in the church who've endured incredible tragedy and hardship, and yet their joy in Christ has not dissipated. I think even of my own wife, despite the hardships with our son and our own medical difficulties, has never lost sight of who she is in Jesus. On the other end of the spectrum, the cupboard is full spectrum, I think of my friend Che. Highly, highly successful in the business world, a corporate mover and shaker, and yet he never lost sight that Jesus was the most important thing. Instead of chasing after the things of the world, which he had access to, his contentment was in Jesus. He did not live for a bigger house or a fancy car or to keep climbing the ladder. He didn't find identity in success, although he had a lot of it. No, he found his identity in the person and work of Jesus, and that too, that was beautiful. Listen, Philippians 4.13 is not a verse about athletic conquest or superhuman feats. It's a verse about being content in all circumstances, whether plenty or want. It's a verse about how Jesus gives strength to his people. It's a verse about how the good news of the gospel brings hope into all circumstances, no matter how hard they may be or how great they may be. In light of that, I'm just going to be honest here. If your joy in life is based on money, or accomplishments, or houses, or cars, or kids, or jobs, or spouses, or politics, or sports, or talent, or looks, or your strength, or your intellect, or your health, or any one of a number of other things, there will come a point where you find yourself completely unsatisfied. Because all of those things will let you down at one point or another. Even in my own life, 
My wife is a precious saint in Christ, but she's still a sinner. My kids are awesome, but they still disappoint me. I love my job, but there are hard days. And even though I'm thankful for my own health, I know eventually it will fail me. The point is, outside of Christ, happiness and satisfaction are fleeting. They come and go. People will let you down. Things will break. Relationships will fracture. Job circumstances will change, and your body will fail. But hear this. Jesus Christ will never change. The hope of the gospel will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we're putting our hope in Christ and relying on his strength, then it's possible to have satisfaction and even joy no matter the circumstances. Now again, I'm not saying there's not a point where we lament, we do. We hate the fact that the world is broken and we weep over it. But it's still possible to know joy because we know Jesus. Now one of the implications of that reality is this. If you lack joy and satisfaction... If you would honestly say, I'm not real content right now, then it's possible you've lost sight of the source of true contentment, or perhaps it's also possible that you've never known that source of contentment. To that end, let me say this. To know the strength of Christ that gives joy in all circumstances, you must first know Christ. And by knowing Christ, I don't mean knowing facts about Jesus or knowing certain things you can recite about him. I mean knowing him to the point you treasure him above everything. I mean, knowing him in the sense that you've given your life and saying, I'm all in with Jesus. If you've never come to that point where you've recognized your sin and turned to Christ, if you've never come to the point where you treasure him above everything, then it will be impossible to know the contentment that's being described here. If that's you, my encouragement to you today is turn to Christ in saving faith. Now, if you've done that and you lack contentment, I might ask you this. Have you forgotten the great treasure that is Jesus Christ? Have you taken your eyes off the good news of the gospel and instead are you focused on your circumstances? Hear this, our hope is not based on circumstances or on people. Circumstances will change, people will let you down. Our hope is based on only one person, Jesus Christ. And again, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we're treasuring him and trusting him and looking to him for strength, it's possible to be content no matter the circumstances. So that's the first observation about contentment here. True contentment is not found in our circumstances, it's found in Jesus. Observation number two, we must learn to be content in both times of plenty and times of want. Listen again to verses 11 and 12 here. Not that I'm speaking, be in need, Paul says, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, when we think of contentment, we generally think we need to learn to be content when things are hard. But it's interesting in this passage, Paul highlights the need to be content not just when things are hard, but also when things are going well. He talks about learning the secret of contentment in times of plenty and hunger, abundance and need, times of being low and times of abounding. In other words, Paul isn't just saying be content when it's hard. He also says learn to be content in Christ even when things are going well which if you think of it, actually makes a lot of sense. Some of the most miserable people I know are also some of the wealthiest and most successful people I know. There's something about having everything that makes you think you're in control of everything. But as we all know, it's just not true. I took Dawson, our son, to the hospital for one of his infusions last week. And one of the things that struck me, and it struck me before, but it struck me again, is that the infusion center, sickness afflicts the wealthy and the poor alike. There are plenty of kids who were there who obviously just didn't have much. 
But there are plenty of kids who were there who came from very wealthy families. And in that, I was reminded the brokenness of the world finds everyone. And one of the dangers of being rich and successful is that you can begin to think you have more control than you actually do. And in that way, I think you can make the argument that it's actually easier to trust Christ when things are hard than it is to look to Christ when things are going easy or when things are going much smoother. When our health is failing and our bank account is low and life is rocky, it's sometimes easier to look to Christ than when our health is great, the bank account is full and everything's going well. But Paul reminds us the secret to contentment here in both times of need and times of plenty is the same. It's Jesus. So listen, if you're in a rocky spot right now, if your health is failing, finances are a challenge, life seems to be hard, remember Jesus is your hope. One day you will have a new body. The riches of Christ are yours. The brokenness of this world will one day be gone. But if your health is great and finances are rolling and life seems to be really smooth right now, remember the same thing. Jesus is your hope too. Your health may be here today, but there's no guarantee you'll be here tomorrow. Money may not be a problem now, but you don't know that will be the case in the future. And if the brokenness of the world hasn't found you recently, it will find you again soon. The point is the gospel is the remedy in both situations. Both times of plenty and times of want, the answer is the same, Christ. It's Christ. Even if you have plenty now, our hope is still in the riches of Christ and the future glory that awaits us in Jesus. So whether you're in times of abundance or times of need, look to Christ. In times of need, thank God that he's helping you to remember that you need him. Actually, hardships can be a blessing for that reason because they remind us we need to look to him. So if you're in a hard spot, don't miss the blessing of hardship. Look up. On the other hand, if things are going well, remember that it's God who's given to you. Give thanks to him. And remember also that the abundance of this world is nothing compared to the riches of Christ. Don't let your abundance cloud you from seeing your need for Jesus. As Paul reminds us in this passage, being content in Christ is something we need to learn in both times of plenty and times of want. That's observation number two. Observation number three. Contentment is a learned skill. Now notice twice in these verses, Paul talks about how he's learned to be content. Verses 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul had to grow spiritually. It took time for his spiritual muscles to grow. I mean, think about it this way. There's a comparison maybe to be made physically. There are a couple of different ways we can change physically. One of them is to change instantaneously. Another takes time. On the one hand, you can make instantaneous changes. You can get a haircut that makes you look radically different in one day. You can completely overhaul your wardrobe. You can change the way you do your makeup. You could even have surgery to make certain parts of your body look different. And all of those things would dramatically change your physical appearance overnight. But on the other hand, you could dramatically change your physical appearance over time by doing things like eating right, exercising regularly, getting better sleep. Over time, that could radically change the way you look too, and it would change it in a different way. The point is, some physical changes come instantaneously, like a haircut. Others, like building up your muscle, getting in cardio shape, take a while. I think the same is true spiritually. When we, know, when we come to know Christ, some things change instantly. We start to see the world differently. We're quicker to confess our sin. The fruit of the Spirit is immediately evident. But that doesn't mean that we reach our full state of sanctification the moment we turn to Christ. Some of our spiritual muscles take time to develop. 
It takes the work of the Spirit over time to grow us. Sometimes the Spirit has to teach us things through circumstances that otherwise we just couldn't learn. And based on what we read here in Philippians 4, it would seem that contentment in Christ is one of those spiritual muscles that just has to grow over time. We have to learn the secret of being content. And sometimes there's no other way to learn that secret than to go through difficult stuff or to go through easy stuff and learn to trust Christ in both. Listen, on a personal note, it's no secret that these last three and a half years have been really hard for our family. And if I had to choose, I'm just going to be honest, I would not have chosen this path. But I have to admit that I think God has been growing my spiritual muscles on the path. He's been teaching me that he can be trusted. He's been teaching me that in Christ, joy is still possible. He's been teaching me that when you hit rock bottom, there's still a rock to cling to. I'm not the same person I was before. Now, I have to be honest in saying I haven't always liked what's come out during this time period. In the last six months in particular, I've been way more irritable, less patient, more easily frustrated. And sometimes it's come out in just some ugly ways. But even in that, God is being kind to me, I think, in causing my spiritual muscles to grow. He's revealing to me that I'm putting my hope in the wrong things, specifically comfort and control and the health of my family. And so as my comfort and control and my family's health has been stripped, I'm learning, let me emphasize learning, not learned, I'm learning that Christ is enough. I think he's helping me to learn the secret. Contentment is not found in circumstances, it's found in Jesus. Now, I think we can learn those lessons in times of ease also. In fact, I think this is why Paul mentions what he does in Philippians 4. But my personal observation is this. Learning the secret of contentment is often much easier in the fire than it is in times of ease. So my encouragement to you this morning is this. Do not despise the fire. Now, I'm not saying you have to welcome it or love it or find it fun. In fact, I would find it odd if you did any of those things. No one should say, I love when the brokenness of the world finds me. Instead, we should all lament and long for the day when Jesus returns and makes things right. So I'm not saying love the fire, but what I am saying is don't despise it. Sometimes to help us learn the secret of contentment, he has to burn away the dross. He has to burn away our worldly way of thinking. And sometimes that burning process is just painful. But he loves us too much to let us be. Learning to be content in Christ is sometimes very, very painful. But listen, that pain is not evidence that God has left us. It's just evidence that our spiritual muscles still need growing. And again, I think there's an analogy here physically. Last spring, Chris Hine, some of you may know Chris, he attends the church here, he invited me to go with him to the gym. Now, if you know anything about Chris, you know he is a mountain of a man. And he's a beast in the weight room. So when I said yes, I knew I'm probably asking for trouble here. Now, to his credit, Chris is a patient and kind weightlifting partner. He didn't peer pressure me to do anything crazy or try to get me to lift beyond what I should have. But he did give me some new exercises. And in particular, he gave me some new ab exercises, some core exercises. And I'm just telling you now, I paid the price. I'm not even exaggerating to say that two weeks later, two weeks later, I would move and I'd be like, oh, that still hurts. Now, I feel confident saying this. I made progress that day with Chris, but it was not a progress without pain. For my physical muscles to grow, there had to be some discomfort. There had to be some pain that happened. I would say the same is true with our spiritual muscles. Sometimes the progress we have to make is just plain 
painful. Sometimes learning the secret of being content is hard. But don't despise the pain. Don't despise it if it means God is helping you to realize where true contentment is found. Because learning the secret of true contentment is worth the pain of your spiritual muscles being stretched. Let's be honest here. We live in a world that is frantically searching for contentment. People want satisfaction. They want joy. They want to be happy. And to be clear, that desire is a very good thing. But the problem is, the solutions our world offers up to find joy and satisfaction and contentment will never satisfy. True contentment is not found in a bigger house or more kid activities or more success at work. In fact, true contentment is not found in any circumstance. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus. As we treasure him, and rely on him, and rest in him, it's then that we can know true and lasting joy. Joy that is present both in times of plenty and in times of want. So church, for the sake of your own joy, and for the glory of God, let me encourage you today to learn the secret. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, learn the secret. Contentment is not found in your circumstances. It's found in a person. It's found in Jesus. Let's live for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the reminder here of where true contentment is found. I suspect there are some in here this morning, if I'm honest, sometimes me, who struggle to find contentment. And so I just pray that you would help us to find the joy and satisfaction that is in Jesus. Help us to cling to him. Help us to run to him to find joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. So one of the things we value at this church is prayer because we recognize that we are weak And what we're talking about today, finding contentment in Christ in the midst of all of life's difficulties and all of life's good things too, is not easy. And just to be clear, although God has been stretching my spiritual muscles, I have a long ways to go. I desperately need the work of the Spirit to learn this secret still. I suspect you do also. And so what we want to do over the next five minutes is just pray. Pray that God would help us to find our contentment in Christ. If things are going well right now, Praise God, give him thanks, and ask that your eyes would not be taken off of Jesus. If things are hard right now, pray that you would see the joy of the gospel, that you would be able to view the world through the lens of the gospel, not through the lens of your circumstances. So let's spend some time praying here. Pray with the people you came with, or pray silently yourself, journal, whatever the case is. I know it's sometimes awkward in a church service to pray, but we don't mind being awkward. Our goal is to be Christians, not to avoid awkwardness, right? And so we're going to pray, we're just going to ask God for help particularly asking him to help us find contentment in Christ. We'll pray for about five minutes here, and I'll close this down. Go ahead and start praying.